don't want you to turn out the beginning, but Luke, who wrote this gospel, was the human who penned it, moved along by the Spirit of God, says that he did it for a man named Theophilus, so that Theophilus, a Gentile, would know the truth about what he had heard. And so the Luke then documents the truth. And uh, in chapter 24, Jesus has died. He has risen. And he's appearing to many of his disciples. Um, And in verse 44 of chapter 24, he says, Now he said to them, to his disciples, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Now, kids and adults who, are, who still have good imaginations, okay, I want you to use your imagination here. Try to, try to allow your mind to see. Verse 45, Then Jesus opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and rise again from the dead the third day and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. You are witnesses of the most triumphal event that in, in, in human history, certainly in the history of the church, but in all of human history, the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ is the triumphal achievement of the entire world. And he gets his disciples and he says, now, I'm, 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 gonna send, I'm about to send you out to proclaim this message. I'm about to send you out to establish churches in all the nations. And, and I'm doing this. And here's what I want you to talk about. I want you to talk about me. I want you to talk about my suffering, my, my death, my resurrection. And I want you to talk about the necessity of repentance to me. For the forgiveness of sins. And I want you to talk about that everywhere. You are witnesses of this great triumph. Tell it everywhere you go. Now Theophilus, by the time this gets done being read to him, or he reads it, uh, now understands at least more than he ever did before of the truth. Now dear ones, This is application at the beginning. Usually the application comes at the end. Dear ones, it's the same for us. We can't just come here week after week without realizing that the truth has come to us for a reason. That it will be taken to the places that are right around us. God has put you in a neighborhood. He's put you in an apartment. He's 
Wherever you reside, there are unbelievers around you. Wherever you work, wherever you go to school, there are unbelievers around you. And in Acts 17, Luke, writing again in Acts 17, says that God has put you exactly at the address and the location he has in all of life because for the sake of those unbelievers around you so that they will hear you speak of his mercy to sinners and the need for repentance. And when you repented for the first time, and dear ones, it's so easy for us to think that, well, salvation has come to us for us, and it has. But that's just the beginning. There is an opportunity for us, in fact, it's God's plan for us, to be a part of His triumph in the world every single day. I've been praying this week that God, by His Spirit, would come and 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 cast a vision through His Word for what He intends to do through us, through you who know Him already this week. The purpose for this book is so that repentance for the forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in His name to all the nations of the world. Can you say Amen? That's why we've spent some money to send Steve to Nepal. For that reason... And it's easy to think, I've done my job. I gave the money. He went. He'll come back. But God's got a job for you and for me in the place that he has planted us. The question is, and I, you can look at your outline. Kids, you've got one there on your paper. Uh, the rest of you in the bulletin. Look at the outline. This is what Jesus is going to tell them about how they can be a part of this triumphant work in the world. There's four things. You know what they say about a sermon. You've got to tell them what you're going to tell them. You've got to tell them. Then you've got to tell them what you told them. And then after that, you can go listen to the sermon on, uh, at the website <laughs> if you need to review it, all right? Here's what he's going to tell them. Here's the four points. He's going to tell his disciples, if you want to be a part of this triumphant work in all the world, no hypocrisy. No hypocrisy before God or men. No fear of God or men. No denial of God before men. No fear of men. Just trust in Jesus Christ. Now this morning, as we hear this and interact with this, we're going to look at 12, in fact, you can turn back to Luke 12. We're going to look at 12 verses this morning. I want you to put yourself in, uh, in the sandals of these disciples, okay? In the robes of these disciples, because that's who Jesus is talking to. Our text begins in Luke 12, 1, with three words. Under these circumstances... Well, what circumstances? This, these 12 verses are being written, being spoken, being communicated to his disciples before he sends them out under these circumstances. Well, there's a couple of things that he's talking about here. One is the progress of Jesus from, that he's making, walking from Galilee in northern Israel 
to Samaria. That's in chapter 9 of Luke. And now in chapter 12, he's in Samaria, about halfway down. But he's on his way to Jerusalem. And by chapter 13, the next chapter, he'll be there. He'll be in Jerusalem. And his trial is going to take place there. His crucifixion is going to take place there. His resurrection is going to take place there. So that's part of the circumstances. The movement of Jesus to his predetermined death, burial, and resurrection for the sake of his children and their salvation. Secondly, he's been confronting the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. Those who say they know God, but by their deeds they deny him. All right, let me just quickly read these 12 verses and then we'll, we'll do it. Kids, kick in your imagination again. Okay? Under these circumstances, after so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were stepping on one another. How's your imagination? Can you see that? So many thousands of people gathering together that there were so many there that were stepping on one another. He began saying to his disciples, first of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. But there's nothing... Think about this, adults. Let your imagination go here. There's nothing covered up that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. Accordingly, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light. Whatever you have whispered in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the housetops. I say to you, my friends, the disciples, do not be afraid of those who can kill the body and after that have no more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Who should they fear? Fear the one who after he is killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I say... Fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two cents? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God, before God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. And I say to you, everyone who confesses me before men... The Son of Man will confess Him before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him. Ooh, aren't you glad you came today? Going to hear that verse unfolded? Didn't, you know, always kind of wanted to talk about that, right? Okay. When they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not worry about what or how, how or what you are to speak in your defense or what you are to say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you are to say. Beware. Beware, Jesus said. He gathers his disciples. He's got thousands there to preach to, and he gathers his disciples. That's who he's talking to. That could be the 12, that could be the 70, that could be the 120, but it, it's, a, it's a small group, his disciples, that he's gathered to him 
And he says, beware of the leaven of the hypocrisy of the of, of the of the Pharisees. What's the nature of that? Turn back one page. Turn back to 11, chapter eleven, verse thirty-seven. Chapter eleven, verse thirty-seven. Now, when Jesus had spoken, a Pharisee asked him to have lunch with him. And he went in and reclined at the table. And when the Pharisee saw it, he was surprised that he had not first ceremonially washed before the meal. Now, here's the deal. Pharisee invited him home for lunch. The, the practice among all religious people was to follow the law, and the law prescribed that they would hold out their hands. There was probably a bowl or a pail or something underneath their hands, and a, bo- and a bowl of water would be poured over their hands. Not like for what moms and dads do today. Did you wash your hands before, before lunch? Not that. Not to be sure your hands were hygienically clean. It was a ceremonial cleansing because there was an assumption that just being in the world, you'd pick up the contamination of the world, especially if you were a Jew, you'd pick up the contamination of being in and around Gentiles. Jesus didn't do that. He didn't say, bring on the water, let's have some ceremonial cleansing. He didn't do that. Now why not? Because he himself was the cleansing for sin. That could do nothing. Now let's go on, verse 39. But the Lord said to him, Jesus said to this Pharisee, Now you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but inside you are full of robbery and wickedness. You foolish ones. Did not he who made the outside also make the inside? But give that which is within is charity, and then all things will be clean for you. Verse 42, key verse, here it is. But woe to you Pharisees, for you pay tithe on everything. You pay a tithe, a tenth, on mint, on rue, on everything, on every kind of garden herb, and yet you disregard justice and the love of God. These are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. You see, that the hypocrisy of the, of the Pharisees was to give to God without loving God. To serve God without loving God. To be near God without loving God. Dear ones, that's not a foreign problem. Is it? What should they have been focused on? Loving God. Love for God. Now back to chapter 12. Look at verses 2 and 3. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Not only is hypocrisy deadly, but according to verses 2 and 3, it's useless. It's useless to try to cover. Remember what it said? There's nothing covered that's not going to be revealed. The hidden will, can, will, will, be, will be known. What you've said in the dark is going to be heard in the light. What you've whispered is going to be proclaimed from the housetops. You can't cover in the sin from God who knows all. What's happening here? He's, ta- he's saying this to his disciples. Jesus is preparing them to be a, an effective part of the triumph of God in the world through his son, Jesus Christ. Now, what we looked at at the end of Luke, Luke 24, 
Remember what it was? Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. To understand what Christ had done in his suffering and death and how that has brought repentance for the forgiveness of sin that was to be proclaimed to the nations. Beginning at Jerusalem. Because, disciples, you are my witnesses. This is your part in the, in the, in the triumphal plan of God in the world. This is your part. Be witnesses. Now, what, that, what might that sound like? If the disciples got it, they would walk away from there and they would say to people that they regularly encounter, you know, I was, I, was, I was with him for a long time, but I didn't understand. But one day, he opened my mind so I could understand the scriptures, what had been written in the prophets and in the Psalms and in Luke. He opened my mind. I was blind. I couldn't see my sin. But he opened, my, he opened my eyes so I could see my sin and see that his coming death, burial and resurrection, was what was going to allow him to forgive me. Can I tell you more? Can I tell you more about this relationship with Jesus? This is the most precious thing that I have. Can I tell you more? Dear ones, do you have those kinds of conversations? Tomorrow, some of you are going to be with people and they, they're, going to, they're going to tell you what they did today. If they do that, in fact, you ought to ask them. If they don't tell you, ask them. What did you do yesterday? Now, you have a reason for wanting to ask them that because you want to tell them what you did yesterday, today. Went to church, heard the gospel preached, was really excited to remember what Jesus had done for me. Can I tell you about it? Second point. Look at, we're going to look at verses 4 through 7. It, Jesus is saying to them, if you really are going to be a part of my triumph in the world, not only do you need to trust me to get rid of all hypocrisy, but you need to be sure that you don't fear God or men. Look at verse 4. I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and afterward have no more that they can do. What, what is it that keeps us from being honest about our sin and our need for a Savior? What is it? Why aren't we just bold in, in proclaiming the gospel and what he has done to us, to all around us. Why aren't we? Well, some of us have businesses. We don't want to ruin our business. Some of us have friends and we don't want to repel everybody around. There's a fear of men that we have. I, I tell you what, that's why I'm not very good at proclaiming the gospel. I'm reluctant to say what Paul said with enthusiasm. Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners of whom I am foremost of all. When's the last time you told that to somebody you meet regularly? Who should the disciples fear? Look at verse 5 through 7. I warn you, Jesus said, whom to fear? Fear the one who after he has killed 
has authority to cast into... Kids, kids notes? Here it is. Has authority to cast into hell. You see that, that turtle that's, sh- that's shuddering inside his shell there? Okay. Fear the one who, who has control over eternity. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two cents? Two, the smallest copper coins in the realm of that day and in our day too. Okay? And yet not one of them is forgotten before God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Now, there are some here who don't have much hair. So you might say, well, that's not such a big deal. Okay? But even for all, he knows. What, what's, what's the point? He knows everything. He knows wherever Sparrow is. He knows how many num- hairs are on your head. You, but he says, now, don't fear. You're more valuable than all those sparrows. Fear the one who knows everything. That's who you should fear. Fear the one who has a constant awareness of where even the, most least, even the least valuable things in all the world are all the time. Fear the one who even knows how many hairs are in your head after a haircut and before. Fear the one who knows the very sins that you're hiding right now. Fear him. It's interesting. He's saying this to his disciples. Fear the one who knows all, even the sin that you're hiding, that you have not yet confessed. But it gets worse than that. Fear the one who has authority over eternal destiny. You see, back in chapter 11, I'm not going to have you turn there. I just want to tell you about it quickly. In, in, in talking to the Pharisees about their hypocrisy, the Pharisees in this day, in the first century church in that time, you know what they were doing? They each one had their favorite prophet. And they'd build a, a mausoleum for the prophet. They'd build a tomb, a fancy tomb. Now, they didn't have the body to put in it, but they just built a, like a memorial, like the Jefferson Memorial or the you know, a memorial for the prophets. They were saying, oh, we love those prophets. We love those prophets. Let's build, them a, let's build them a place where we can remember them. Now, in chapter 11, verse 49, Jesus says to them, I need to go just a little more than that. For this reason, the wisdom of God said, here's what the wisdom of God said, according to Jesus, I will send to them prophets and apostles, and some of them they will kill, and some they will persecute, in order that, so that the blood of all the prophets shed since the foundation of the world may be charged to this generation, even the prophet Jesus, who would be killed. What's, what's Jesus saying? He's, he's saying to the Pharisees, he's saying, look, the plan of God, the wisdom of God has been this. He has sent prophets and apostles, those with the message of mercy through his Son. Over the years, since the foundation of the world, he did that so that 
the, all the blood that was spilt as, their fa- as the fathers of these Pharisees killed those prophets could be assigned to the Pharisees of that day. They may be charged to the Pharisees of this generation. What is God saying? What is Jesus saying? He's saying, God the Father, God the Son, and me have the authority to assign blame for what's in your heart. They may be building a museum for the uh, a memorial for, for, the, for the prophets and for the dead apostles, but they hated what they had to say. That's the kind of hypocrisy that's there. You see, he wants his disciples to begin to understand that God's economy when it comes to hypocrisy is very different. He knows not just what's on the outside, he knows what's in here. Now what do you make about it? What do you make of this? On the one hand, Jesus says to his disciples, fear this. And on the other hand, he says, don't fear this. What's his point? Why is he, why is he talking like this to his disciples? Well, he's correcting wrong thinking. That's number one. He wants his disciples to care about what God thinks completely and what man thinks not at all. What God thinks, not what man thinks. Dear ones, have you ever, have you ever done something recently because of what men think? that is contrary to what you would have done if you had remembered and operated on the basis of what God thinks. Well, yes, we all, every week, maybe every day. And his disciple, who he's going to send out with the message of the gospel and establish churches, he wants them to know hypocrisy is deadly and fearing men is deadly. That's one. Care about what God thinks, not what men think. Verse 7. Look at verse 7. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are numbered. If he knows that, he knows every sin for sure. Do not fear though. Why? Why not? Read the the second half of verse 7 before I say it. Why not fear God, a God like that? Because you are more valuable than all the sparrows that he knows everywhere. How valuable are you? God knows all. He never forgets. Yet they shouldn't fear him? How can that be? Because they're more valuable. Remember back at the end of of Luke, chapter 24, verse 46 and 47? Thus it's written, Christ will suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, that repentance and the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations. How do we know we're more valuable to him? Because of what Jesus did on the cross. He sent his son to die in our place. He put all his, our sin upon him and then dealt with it so he could be merciful to us. We are valuable. And he said to his disciples, you're witnesses of that truth. That yes, our God knows everything. He never forgets anything. He knows all our sin. But we're valuable to Him. 
We're valuable to Him. How do we know? Because He sent His Son to be merciful to us. What might that sound like? What might that sound like if they go out and proclaim something like that? Well, it hasn't happened yet, but after, after they see Jesus actually die, they might have gone in the, in the days following the resurrection and say, can I tell you about a man that Jesus valued even as he was dying? Can I tell you about a man like that? Do you remember who that was? You see, the apostles, except for Paul, were at the crucifixion. They saw the, the three crosses. They saw the, the, the criminals on either side. They heard the one rail against him. If you are who you say you are, get us out of this mess. Save yourself and us too. They heard the other one say, hey, wait a minute. You can't talk like that. We deserve what we're getting, not him. And then see him look at Jesus and say, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus looked down to him and say, today you will be with me in paradise. See, his disciples were out talking about that. They're out talking about the one who Jesus was merciful to, even as he was dying. That, that thief, that criminal was valuable to Jesus. That's why he died. And the part of the disciples, the way they participate in the triumph of God in the world is to be witnesses who proclaim what they know to be true about that God. Can you say amen? Amen. Are you convicted like I am? Yeah. We're just too silent. Right? We walk past people every day on the street, in the hallway of the apartment building, at work, in the office. We walk by them. And we're pretty sure we know who they are. Sinners in need of a Savior. Third point, verse 8. Jesus is saying to his disciples, if you want to be an effective part of my triumph in the world, here we are, verse 8. I say to you, everyone who confesses me before men, the Son of Man shall confess him before the angels of God. I like that, don't you? I like that. But the other side of the coin, it comes next. But he who denies me before men shall be denied before the angels of God. There's two questions that at least occur to me. There might be more than that that occur to you. Here's the two questions. What is Jesus confessing or denying about his disciples that have anything to do? Why, why are these angels of God even in the mix here? Why does he, he say, if you deny me, I'm going to deny you before the angels of God. If you confess me, I'm going to confess you before the angels of God. What's this stuff about the angels of God? What is that? And then secondly, what is it specifically that Jesus is confessing? about those who confess him. Well, let's take them one at a time. What's this stuff about the angels of God? I say to you, everyone who confesses me before men, the Son of Man shall confess him before the angels of God. Over a few pages, Luke 15. Just, just keep your finger where we are there and over Luke 15, verse 9 and 10. You remember, this is a parable, common parable of the lost coin. Remember? 
Jesus told this parable, this story of a woman who lost a coin in her home. It was a valuable coin. And so she turned, she lit a lamp and began to clean and clean and clean and clean and clean. And eventually she found the coin. And she gathered her friends and neighbors. Rejoice with me, for I found the coin which I had lost. Now here's Jesus' commentary. Here's the point from Jesus' mouth in verse 10. In the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Well, from that, we know that angels rejoice when sinners repent, right? Keep your finger back in Luke 12. I want you to go to Hebrews 1, verse 14. Hebrews 1, 14. What about angels? What are they doing anyway? Here in Hebrews 1, the writer of Hebrews is comparing Jesus to Moses, Jesus to everybody else that the world would look up to, and Jesus to angels. Look down at verse 14. Here's what he says angels are doing. Are they not all angels, all ministering spirits, sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation. Jesus is, when, when Jesus' disciples confess him before men, Jesus is confessing to angels who rejoice when they repent, who are sent out from the throne room of God to render some kind of service, we're not told what, to render some kind of service on behalf of those who will be saved. Jesus is confessing them. He's saying, they're mine. I'm sending you out. Do serve them. Rejoice in their repentance. Hmm. Angels are a part of the triumph of God in the world. They rejoice when we repent. They're sent out to render service to those who will be saved. What is it that Jesus is confessing? Question number two. Well, we've already read it about three times. Luke 24, 46 through 47. Thus it is written, Jesus will suffer and rise again from the dead the third day. Why? So that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name. When His disciples proclaim that in His name, when they say, I'm a sinner and there wasn't anything I could do about it, Jesus says, you couldn't, but I died for Him. I died for her. When His disciples said, I need a Savior, He says, I am your Savior. How valuable are they? When they say, I repent of my sin, Jesus says, God says, I forgive your sin because of what my son has done. How valuable are they? How much more valuable than sparrows? When they say, I am his, he says, they are mine. I am his and he is mine. Huh? 
What would it mean to deny Jesus before men? What would it mean? Well, some of you might say, well, it means saying, I'm not a, Jesus. I'm not a follower of Jesus. There are those who have done that. Peter did it, right? Dear ones, it might be a lot less overt than that. Certainly, that would be denying Jesus. It could be as simple as just being unwilling to confess openly your sin and your need of a Savior to those who you regularly meet each week who are sinners too and need a Savior. And just an unwillingness to confess who you are and what He's done is to in life deny to be a hypocrite of all hypocrites. On Sunday, you're here and you're saying, I am His and He is mine. But during the week, look at verse 10. What's the point here? Verse 10. Everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man it will be forgiven. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven. What's the point? You know what it seems to me, and first reading, why wouldn't it be worse to blaspheme Jesus than the Holy Spirit? Why not? It, do, do, I don't know if I'm the only one that thought about it that way, but why, why wouldn't it be worse to blaspheme Jesus? He's the one who died. But Luke writes and says, if you blaspheme, if you speak against the name of Jesus, that'll be forgiven. Yeah. Absolutely it will. That's why he came. Isn't it? That's why He came. That's why He lived a sinless life. That's why He died. So that sinners could be forgiven. Why is it worse? Why won't, if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, why won't that be forgiven? Well, to answer that question, you need to remember what the work of the Holy Spirit is. John 16, John 16, verse 12. Here's the answer. John 16, verse 12. Jesus is speaking. Let me get on the right page. Here's what he's saying in verse 12. I have many more things. to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when He, the Holy Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all the truth, for He will not speak on His own initiative. Now that's an interesting thought about the role of the Holy Spirit right there. The Holy Spirit does not speak when He decides to speak. But whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, Jesus said, for he will take of mine, of me, and what I've done, 
and he will disclose it to you. That's the role of the Spirit. That's the role of the Holy Spirit, to, to point to Christ, to speak of Christ. All, verse 15, all things that the Father has are mine, Jesus says. Therefore I said, he, the Holy Spirit, takes of mine and will disclose it to you. To disclose the work of Christ to his people is the work of the Holy Spirit. To blaspheme the Holy Spirit is to reject what the Holy Spirit discloses. And what does the Holy Spirit disclose? Christ. Forgiveness of sin in His name. If we speak against the Spirit as He delivers the only life-giving message there is. Remember when we read in Revelation earlier? If your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, you're saved. If it's not, you're not. And there's no way, nothing that can be done. If you say, no, I will not hear that message. I don't care where it comes from. Even the Holy Spirit. You reject the only life-giving message. There is no other. Jesus is preparing His disciples to be effective part of the triumph of God in the world. He wants them to understand how important it is to confess what Jesus has done and the impact that it has had on them. How are they going to do that? Chapter 24 of Luke, verse 49 this time. Listen to it. Behold, Jesus said, I am sending forth the promise of my Father. Who is that? That's the Holy Spirit. I'm sending forth the promise of my Father upon you. Stay here in this city until you're clothed with power from my high. How are they going to do this? How are they going to be faithful in declaring, proclaiming the gospel? They're going to do it through dependence upon the Spirit of God who will indwell them. Last point. What if, in the process of confessing Jesus before men, that confession gets them into trouble? Anybody ever had that? I'm not going to ask you to lift your hand. Anybody ever had that where you thought, ooh, if I go too far here, I could lose my job, I could, I could lose a friend, I could... I think I'll just shut up. <laughs> what happens? What what is going to happen? What if proclaiming the message about Jesus gets you dragged into the courts or in front of the authorities on whatever level they are? Look at verse back in, uh, in Luke. Chapter 12, verses 11 and 12. Verses 11 and 12. When they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not become anxious about how or what you should speak in your defense or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Jesus is saying this, the same Holy Spirit that disclosed me to you will be with you to teach you what you should say if you get in trouble for disclosing me to those around you. 
What are they to do? What are these disciples to do? They are to trust the Spirit of God to tell them what to say and how to say it. And the days are coming. The days when they were, will be thrown in jail, when, the day, when they'll be brought before authorities in various places, almost every place they took the gospel, and getting in trouble for it, are coming. In Luke 21... Verses 6 and 7, it says this. As for these things, Jesus is speaking, as for these things which you are looking at, they were looking at the temple. The days are coming in which there will not be one stone left upon another that will not be torn down. This is probably somewhere between 30, 33 AD when this is being said to them. Somewhere in there. Rome, I mean, Rome came in and destroyed Jerusalem and the temple in 70 AD, somewhere between 30, 35 years later. The things which Jesus said might happen did. And they questioned him, saying, Teacher, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when these things are to take place? Now, if you look at verses 9 through 15. I know we're coming close on time here, but I want you to understand this. This is a, this is a passage that you need to understand. This, this passage, these verses 9 through 15, have got present day events being described and future events being des- described, both in the same verses. So you have to say, you have to read, you have to become more careful readers of the Word than you've ever been in your life if you're going to understand. And count on the Spirit of God to help you understand. Now look at verse 9. 21.9, are you there? And when you, disciples, he's talking to the disciples, when you hear of wars and disturbances, do not be terrified, for these things must take place first. Now what are the next words? But the end does not follow Immediately. Now, that first century, disciples, when you hear of wars and disturbances, don't be terrified. This isn't it. This isn't the end. Then he continued. Now, this is future. Then he continued by saying to them, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be great earthquakes and various plagues and famines, and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all these things, but before all those things, all those future things, before that, back to the first century, they will lay their hands on you, disciples, and will persecute you, delivering you to the synagogues, prisons, bringing you before governors and kings for my name's sake. Now listen to this. This is... Here's the triumph of God in the world. It will lead to an opportunity for your testimony. So make up your minds not to prepare beforehand to defend yourselves, for I will give you utterance and wisdom which none of your opponents will be able to resist or refute. This is their part in the triumph of God in the world. Do you see it? Yes? Do you see it? All right. 
good. Now, dear ones, it's their part. It's also our part. Now, do you remember Peter? Let me, let me just wrap this up. You remember Peter? Leading up to the crucifixion of Jesus. They're around a campfire just a few days before Jesus is crucified. In fact, earlier this day, Jesus, Peter had said to Jesus, Jesus, I'll go with you anywhere, even unto death. And Jesus said to Peter, Today, Peter, as it would have it, you're going to deny me three times today, before the cock crows. And you remember, boom, boom, boom. Even a, 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 just a, a little servant girl around the campfire says, Hey, you're one of those followers, aren't you? And he swears, Not me. Not me. Jesus dies. He's raised again. He's at the right hand of the Father. The Spirit is poured out 50 days later. Now on the day of Pentecost, 50 to 60, no more than 60, somewhere in there, in Acts 2, 36 to 39, listen to Peter now. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made Him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. Is he confessing it? Is he? He certainly is. Now when they heard this, listen to what happened. When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent, each of you, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. That's just exactly Almost word for word. They probably memorized it. You know, like Steve Brandon does. You know? (laughs) They probably memorized it. For the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise, okay. Peter, old wimpy Peter, is now depending on the Spirit of God. Filled with the Spirit of God. Speaking boldly. And what kind of speech does the Spirit of God give him? That which pierces the heart. Dear ones, isn't that what we want? When we're bold to speak the gospel, isn't that what we want? So don't we, we, don't, we don't speak our own. We speak what he says. And they're, they're pierced to the heart when they hear, repent. And then here's the promise in verse 39 of Acts 2. For this promise is for you, he's saying to Israel, and for all who were there on the day of Pentecost. People from every nation and every, were there hearing the word of God, being God, Jesus being praised in their own language. This promise is for you, nations, and for, and for your children, for all who are far off, and here comes, as many as the Lord our God shall call to Himself. There's the triumph of God in the world, isn't it? As many as the Lord our God shall call, they will be saved. Bow your heads, please. Jesus told the disciples, no hypocrisy.
Not saying one thing, living another. Dear ones, with humility and as a sinner who is constantly in need of God's grace to avoid hypocrisy in my own life, is there hypocrisy in you? Is there sin that you have been guarding? It's secret. Nobody knows except the one who knows how many hairs are on your head. If you are to be a part of God's triumph in the world, trust Him to give you all you need to say what you really are. To confess your sin. To ask Him to help you so that you can live and proclaim, I was a sinner and He saved me. And He, even today, constantly is cleaning me up, forgiving me all my sin and cleansing me from all unrighteousness. Dear ones, we need to be fearless before our God, who even though He knows our sin, values us so highly that we will run to Him with every sin, knowing that Jesus Christ is the mediator between God and man. And that He Himself is the permanent place of mercy. Dear ones, if you've been hiding sin and living in fear of a God who will find it out, run to Him. Run to the permanent place of mercy. He will forgive. And dear ones, no denial. As you walk this week before people who need the gospel, don't leave out conversations about your sin and the mercy of our, of, of our great Savior. In fact, your confession of what He's done in response to your sin will make you a part of the triumph of God in the world if you'll trust Him for it. And lastly, yes, there is a fear that we might get in trouble for doing this. But dear ones, trust the Spirit of God when He prompts you to speak, when He gives you the words to speak. If you get in trouble, He'll give you the words to say there. You will be a part of God's triumph in the world if you trust Him for this. Dear ones, I am His and He is mine. Say that with me. I am His and He is mine. We are one. His triumph in the world is ours. And He calls us to participate with Him in His triumph. Amen.